Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars, Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hey listeners, welcome back to Lead to Soar. It's Michelle Redfern again. And today I am thrilled to bits to have someone that I've worked with, we're friends, we've collaborated on quite a few things on the podcast with me today, Dr. Jen Fram. Now, I'm going to I'm going to introduce her in her own words from her website because I love it because it just tells you so much about her style. So I could tell you about Jen's educational qualifications, a doctorate in management, or that she's worked with a large range of companies or the experience that she's had across sectors in types of change, culture change, digital transformation, business agility, customer centricity, operating model changes, large scale technology change, or we could just share what she passionately believes in every cell of her body. That organisational change is complex, but it doesn't have to be hard. With change in the workplace, we have the opportunity to create a place where people flourish, where customers are delighted, where the shareholders are confident they did the right thing in investing in your company. With change in the workplace, we can ensure that you remain relevant. Well, welcome Dr. Jen Fram to the Lead to Soar podcast. How are you? Oh, Michelle, I am ever so much better for being here today with you. It's a true delight. (laughs) Oh, we should be doing this over a rosé. We really should. But anyway, one day, one day soon. Jen, I've given you the the official, the glorious official intro, but I would like you to introduce yourself to our listeners now and tell us about your soaring leadership career. So what, what is your leadership story? You make me giggle at the prospect I've had a soaring leadership career. Well, you are a Wonder Woman fan, so I think, you know. Well, this is right. This is right. But I always just 
describe it as uh, snakes and ladders, right? So at, at one stage, probably in my mid-20s, and I'm skipping all around the place because I was meant to introduce myself, but um, at one point in my mid-20s, I kind of worked out, look, one of the best values I had or my strengths was flexibility. Through flexibility, when everything goes to crap, you've got the ability to leap to something better. And that was kind of a mindset that really embodied how I approached career because let me tell you, by the time I was 30, I had something like 21 different employers. So literally, I had worked in television and advertising, marketing, sales, call centers, you name it. I had worked so many different roles with, you know, um, absolutely no career ambition or prospect of leadership. But what was common to all of those roles was the theme of change that in every single one of those roles, I ended up coming forward to either lead change or be an agent of change in those organizations. And so really, it wasn't until my 30s when things started to come together. And, you know, these bizarre threads became a really beautiful tapestry of experience and history. So that's why I struggle a bit the soaring story, because actually, it was a bit tricky there for a good 12-15 years. But I think to to give your listeners now the, the rundown. So I work with organizations as a consultant where I help them design positive change. I also work with organizations as a contractor and I get in on the tools and I deliver change. And I'm also the co-founder of the Agile Change Leadership Institute, where we equip people with the skills and capabilities to be leaders of disruptive change and, and the environment today. Thank you, Jen. I've just written down bizarre threads that became a beautiful tapestry. So there's two things. The second thing that stood out, the first thing was that you never aspired to leadership, which having known you for quite a while now, I'm going, really? Because you're such you know a natural leader, whatever, you know, whatever, you are a natural leader from my perspective. So. It's interesting that that self-image of leadership wasn't evident to you, but the way you've described a non-linear career or a bit of a crazy paving rather than a standard path, bizarre threads that became a beautiful tapestry. I love it. It's really nice. And as someone who's very mentally visual, it pulled together a, a lovely picture. In terms of leadership, so we, our, our leadership definition, leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And change is such a big part of that. You know, I've got to use my own skills and attributes, my greatness. I've got to make sure the organisation meets its strategic and financial goals. That's the achieving and sustaining. And then, of course, I've got to engage the greatness in others. And engaging the greatness is not winning popularity contests. It's about saying, how do I engage your hearts, your minds and your efforts and channel them and align them towards what we deem as organisationally important? So I think, you know, that's everything that you do is is so aligned to that, which was why I so keen to get you on and talk about it. You you published a book last year. It's your third book. And I, I want to kick off uh, with a quote from that book. And gee whiz, you must have had some crystal balls when you were, when you were writing it. But it says, it's 2021. We are now facing collectively the most significant and disruptive changes in our careers, possibly lives. There is a clarion call for strong change leadership. Are you up for it? All of my work with leaders of organisations during change tells me one thing. If you want to lead change, you need to change yourself first every time. There is no perfect change leader. Even those who are lauded for their outcomes and efforts in creating successful transformation recognise that they're in perpetual change, challenging themselves, learning new things, adapting and growing. The phrase change leader is both a noun 
and an instruction. So when I go back and consider our leadership definition, mm. as I said, I can map all the way through that. But what stands out to me, and, and look, for transparency, you know, full disclosure, I was so fortunate to be able to collaborate a little bit with Jen on her last book. So I, I've got some fairly reasonably or reasonably good insights into the mindset. Why it's important that you're an effective leader of change, but you're ad- advocating for so much more than that. You're you're advocating for more than change leadership of others, aren't you? What, what does that mean? It really comes down to the observation that you cannot be a theoretical leader of change, right? You can't sign up to the mission, I'm going to lead change and I'm going to tell you what the change is and we will go forth without being a really active participant in the change. And by virtue of the privilege in you as a leader, you will have early exposure to what that change is. And it's a recognition that you need to change first within in terms to embody what that change is to be an effective leader of change. And, you know, I think this is this is the real critical piece that gets missed with a lot of leaders is that they embody the role as an, I'm going to use the term again, as a theoretical change leader, right? I've been given that title. I'm the change leader. I'll be the mouthpiece. I'll say what has to be said. But they don't embody the change. They don't do the change first. They don't change their mindset, their behaviours, all of those kind of elements which are critical in making the change successful. And this is even more so now when we look at what it means to lead through this continuing disruption that is 2021 and beyond. So what we used to do as leaders just won't cut it. So what do we used to do? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think the notion of command and control is an interesting one, right? And and what our personal relationship is with power. So often in in today's, in in a lot of today's articles and, and thought leadership pieces, you see command and control is demonized. It's a bad thing. It's terrible. It's awful. We shouldn't be command and control leaders. And there is a grain of truth in that, but we also need to recognize that command and control has served us exceptionally well in a different circumstance, one that was predictable, repeatable, scalable. In the current environment, the environment is not predictable, repeatable, or scalable. It's, you know, incredibly chaotic and complex and uncertain. So the notion of embodying a command and control presence, which many people will find very reassuring, right? That's that's the, the value of dictatorships and autocrats, right? They yep. create stability for people. And so that is attractive. It is attractive. However, it's not effective in navigating forward through continuing change. So many leaders have to really look deep at what is their relationship with power? Are they looking, has their default been to have power over other people because that creates stability? Can they shift their default to sharing power with others? Because that allows for elevating the insights of other people and the experiences of other people, which might actually help them get through this continuous change in a better way than thinking they have all of the answers. Does that make sense? I feel like I went a few loops on that. It does. And there's a couple of key points I want to call out. So command and control absolutely has its place in modern society. Think about first responders. Think about if you've ever been in a, in a building where the fire alarm has gone off. What's the, what's the thing you do? You look for the person with the high-vis vest and you obey. Bay because you you know basic needs right let's make it safe and I think in times of crisis and certainly if I think over the course of my career and and 
you will probably have similar anecdotes, Jen, when the organisation or society has faced a crisis and it's all hands on deck, but we have a leader who says, you go there, you do that, you do this. So command and control has its place. But, but what you're saying is it's not sustainable because, of course, another term that I learned from you and Lena Ross, your, your partner in crime in the Agile Change Leadership, VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. Those are the characteristics of business right now and probably in a continuing way. So command and control isn't sustainable, but has its place. And I guess that's the agility to move amongst different leadership styles as the change or as the circumstances require. The one I'm interested in though, is me as a leader. So our listeners, they're going, well, okay, if I'm used to it. So let's talk about intrinsic versus extrinsic, because what we've talked about is the extrinsic markers of change leadership in in my view. So I'm going to have PMO and I'll have a project plan and I'll have people doing X, Y, Z and I'll da-da-da-da-da. But you've talked about I haven't really embodied it, which is, do I believe it? Am I behind it? Am I being for the business in terms of getting on board with this? What do I What do I need to do to shift my mindset to do that? And I think this is really challenging for a lot of leaders, right? Because it will be highly risky. Everything that they have done to date has got them to the position that they are in. And now we're suggesting that this change is going to introduce a level of risk to them, which may change their status. It may change their relationships, it may change, you know, their view of what their future career path is, and yet they need to embrace that risk. And is that the risk of losing power or or, or the perception that I'm going to lose power or control or both? All of those things which have so far, you know, protected me in my formal leadership role. Is this the scarcity versus abundance mindset in, in some ways or is that, it's probably not complete enough? I think there's elements of it and, and I think you start to tap into, you know, perhaps the more spiritual domains of leadership. If as a leader I accept that the world is full of abundance and generosity, then my desire for control is less because my spiritual beliefs will sustain me and that gives me faith and hope. If from a spiritual position, you don't necessarily believe in that, then you're going to seek more concrete indicators that you're safe, that your hope and faith is not tied to some spiritual belief. So I think that's where it kind of comes in with the the abundance and, you know, deficit way of thinking. The other thing is, is trust. And I think we we can look at organisations, you can see a high trust organisation and you can most certainly feel a low trust organisation. And, you know, you and I met when we were working for one of Australia's big four banks and notoriously low trust for a range of reasons, cultural, some of them regulatory. So lots and lots of indicators that we don't actually trust you. We believe you're going to do the wrong thing. So we've got processes, et cetera, which they get in the way of change. And and let's face it, when you and I first met, we were both trying to implement pretty significant change in our parts of the world. So how does a, how, yeah, so so I've moved beyond the, you know, the, the internal stuff and I'll come back to that, but yeah, you know, how does, how can that work? It works by degrees. And I think this is, this is a decision a leader needs to make is the pacing and the time that it's going to take to make significant change in this organization aligned with my personal goals. And so there will be plenty of very good leaders of change who will walk into a low trust environment and say, okay, I can see this as a low trust environment. I think I have got the efficacy and the agency to make a difference here. And I have the patience. 
you will have other leaders who are much more impatient around it. A really good call out, Jen. You've got to know thyself. When am I at my best? How am I, am I at my best? How do I achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes? And how do I how do I get that with the organisation? Does that match up? It's such an important piece that we haven't considered as much before, particularly in the context of what impact do I want to have? Because, of course, change is about impact, right? And look, it's totally okay to be impatient, right? Because there are organisations who will find that very attractive and you will get the, you know, we're actually hiring you for your impatience. We want Challenge to challenge the status action. quo, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Come in and disrupt. That's what we need at this point in time. But I think that is the, the question you need to ask yourself as a leader in moving into new roles is, will the pace of change be aligned with my personal desire to change? Mm, it's very, very good advice. And I often have predominantly women, but, but some men asking me, what are the sort of things I should ask at a job interview? I go, I don't know. What does a good day look like? What does a good week look like? A month, a good year look like? And can can that employer meet those requirements for you? Tell me about the last time that change failed and what you did about it. Yeah, another good call out. So there are skills and attributes that 21st century leaders must pay attention to. They've got to pay attention. They've got to develop them and they've got to demonstrate them. So, and, and I particularly talk about this with the women that I work with around their business strategic and financial acumen. I want you to have it but I want you to demonstrate it as well. So what are the skills and attributes of a change leader, an excellent change leader in practical terms, Jen? How, mm. how would we see that person and, and experience that person? You know, I think there's two really strong dimensions. One is the emotional intelligence, and that, that gets a bit trite, that phrase, but it really comes down to do they understand themselves, do they understand others, and can they adjust their behaviours accordingly, right? Mm. So I think the emotional intelligence is really quite critical of a change leader. The business savvy, and so this is the financial modelling. This is the ability to tell a story through data. So storytelling through data is really, really important. I think today's leaders, tomorrow's leaders, really need to be on top of, you know, data-informed decision-making. They need to be across how do you make sense of all the data out there. Today's leader also needs to have a real sense of exploration and comfortable with exploration. So really thinking around what does it mean to explore new territory, to be looking at weak signals of change so that they can anticipate what's coming next and prepare people for them. So, you know, for me, this is a leader who in conversations is really curious. They ask you lots of questions. They hear something and they say, hey, I haven't heard that term before. Tell me more about it. Say more. Someone who has the ability to call out what they don't know in order to build on their knowledge is really quite critical. So I think they're some of the things that I see in a contemporary leader of change. So EQ, and I agree, we talk a lot about EQ and emotional intelligence, but, you know, the reality is, yeah, do I know myself? Do I know what makes me tick? Do I understand the impact my behaviours have on other people and what makes them tick and the impact their behaviours have on me? And can I self-lead through that? But can I navigate? Can I navigate the human dynamics that are in workplaces and arguably, which are amplified in periods of change. And we know that humans are biologically programmed to resist change because change in, you know, when dinosaurs still ran around the world and some still do, but when, you know, that means death, change means death, you know, so we know that we're, you know, resistant. So being able to navigate data-driven decisions, and I think one point 
I'm interested in on, on your view there, Jen, is we often have, you know, incomplete data or fuzzy sort of data and being able to, I suppose, have the courage of your convictions and your knowledge, your knowledge and skills and experience and say, I- I'm 75% of the way there. I reckon that's enough. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that come up for me on that, Michelle. And it's one, do you have somatic awareness? So what you're body gives you as feedback is data. Not all data comes from a machine. Not all data comes from, you know, machine learning. You have feedback from your body, which you recognize as data. So is this gut instinct? Yeah, gut instinct, excitement. You know, often when I'm working with leaders, I say, tell me where stress sits in your body. And they can often tell you, well, I get a tense jaw, I get, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I say, okay, tell me where excitement sits in your body. And they often get very confused at that question. Mm. And I was like, if you don't know where excitement sits in your body, you could be misreading the signals and the data that your body is giving you about a decision you're about to make. How interesting. Yeah. You've just made me think because, you know, it's the, the the line between love and hate is is very very fine. So I guess it's the same between stress. Oh, this you know stress that excitement brings us as, as well. So interesting. So data is not just about facts and numbers and charts and things. Data also comes from our cells, from our body. How do we pay attention to that? And then having an inquiring mind, being inquisitive, being curious, learning how to ask questions or discovering how to ask questions. And this is where engaging the greatness in others is also about saying, you know, I know that I have a very direct style and my naturally curious self can come across as being very, very well, a bit of an interrogation. So, interrogation, yeah. Yes. Am I aware of that? And how do I get curious and ask those questions in a way where people think, oh, I've, I've got my story to tell now. I can help her close her knowledge gap or whatever it may be. Good advice. So EQ data, be curious. I, I heard some advice from an extraordinary leader that I know at IAG, Carol Angoff. And Carol says every time we kick off one of our women's leadership programs, Game Changers at IAG, her advice to the, the 20 or so women, uh, executive women that we're working as she says, what work out what your strengths are and, uh, and how to play to them. She says, but you've also got to work out what your gaps are and then importantly, work out what you're going to do about that. So how does that apply? How does that advice apply to change leaders? How do you work out? You talked about weak signals, which I'm I'm curious how that links, but what are those signals? How do I work? What am I weak at? How do I know? If I don't know what I don't know about being a change leader, what do I do? Two different concepts there, but in terms of the question around if I'm weak at something as a leader, change leadership is not an individual sport. So the best of team leaders or the best of change leaders are pulling together a team that will support and travel together through the change. And so, you know, that might be, okay, I am exceptionally good on the analysis and strategy. I'm a bit weak on relationships, but I know relationships matter. I'm going to make sure that on my team, I have someone who's really strong in that space. And so... I'm a big fan of supplement your gaps, right? Don't 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 waste time improving an area that gives you no energy uh, and that you're probably not going to be good at over a long period of time. Just own up to it and recruit in. Like that's recruit or assign or delegate for your areas of weakness, but own it. 
right? So don't do it. Don't do it as a covert activity. Be really clear up front. You know, one of the conversations I have with teams when I go in to lead a team, um, and so occasionally I get brought in as a pinch hitter just to turn a team around, right? And part of my first conversations is under stress. I don't do relationships. I am really task focused. So I will come in and not say good morning. I will not ask you how your weekend was. And I will forget that your kid had a recital. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm the same. And I forget about it with my emails. And I just go, bang, boom, boom, boom. I go, oh, yeah, say right. good morning. Hello. How are you? How was your weekend? Shit. You know. <laughs> but that conversation is, I'm telling you this so that you have a flag you can raise when you see that behavior. Because that behavior is unacceptable. That's not okay, right? That's not an excuse. But I fully expect you to hold the mirror up at that point and say, Jen, seems like you're a bit under stress. You're forgetting to be, you know, pleasant. And bless them. I have had teams that absolutely do that, right? So I managed to introduce them in a way that they believe me. <laughs> and they do. And it's a really healthy thing to do because it also normalizes that conversation with others to say, yeah, okay. Here's, here's what I do when I'm under stress and here's where I want your help at that point. It's one of the things that I've, I found most useful in my traveling journey was learning about what my leadership style is and my philosophy. Um, and then importantly, learning that I must communicate that to the teams or and the people that I'm leading. And that example that you've given is a, is a really great one of what I learned to do, not, not really particularly early in my career, in fact, quite late, uh, all things considered to say, this is what happens when I'm under the pump. And I know I should manage that better, but I give you permission, and I use that word carefully, give you permission to call me on it, you know, call BS when, when I'm behaving in a BS way. But also, I suppose the other thing around that is that communication, that engaging the greatness in others, being able to say to them, here's the way I work, here's, here's when I'm in flow, here's the way I work best. And I think in in leading change, and, I, and I'm kind of putting change, and I'm putting it into the initiative box now, I suppose, rather than the big gnarly stuff that we're going through. But in, you know, I guess in a team that's leading an initiative, it's going to be really about assembling, you know, a crack team is going to be, no, we're going to know our rhythms. We're going to know the way we communicate well with each other. Um, as the leader of that team, how do you accelerate that? Because so often change teams or teams that are expected to lead change are thrown together, particularly in a crisis mode. It's like, oh crap. Okay. Assemble the XYZ team to do the ABC initiative. We've got to get to know each other really quickly and get the ball rolling. Any practical tips around that apart from what you've already given us? I, I agree. And look, this is, this is why positive psychology is a really big part of my leadership style. The body of knowledge that informs my leadership style. You know, strength-based leadership is just so powerful. I have been on initiatives where at part of project kickoff, we've actually brought in an external facilitator of strengths deployment industry uh, inventory. Or so there's SI or there's, you know, there's a whole stack of different profiles. Really, really important because at that point, three months on where things really got gnarly, we could go, hold up, about half the team are reverting back into the need for more data. That would be a signal that we're in personal conflict, right? And the only person who is action-oriented, i.e. me, is out on her own mm. and feeling the pain. So that little investment up front to bring in someone external who can do an analysis of the team composition and just give you a vocabulary for having conversations so, so. Yes, you're in the blue zone now, Jen, or, you know, or I can see your activator working or, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter what method you use as long as you agree on a method. And it is important in that, in that language. And I think coming back to circling back around to the discussion around power, it also means that there's 
that language or that framework gives a more the opportunity for a more equitable distribution of power in teams yeah rather than command and control yeah you know if you want to move at speed in today's environment you have to share that power you you know and and i have a bit of a love hate relationship with the term empower it feels very you know i'm going the benevolent dictator i'm going to empower you as opposed to actually the team has agency the team has agency they get to make the call on what they work on how they work on it how they problem solve so that that's something I kind of I get challenged with in today's business language is the the empowered team. Yeah, and I do too because it's so often used in relation to women. You know, and as I said, love hate because I think there's there's a place for it, but it falls into the category of overused and sometimes a little a little trite. Let's imagine we've got people listening in and they're saying, well, okay, we've got continuous change. You know, what is it? Nothing more certain in life than death, taxes and change. And I need to build up my toolkit to to manage continuous change. And part of that's my own internal ability to manage or not manage change in the pace of change. And then we've got organisational change. Now, I think another word that is overused is transformation because, you know, we I don't know how many transformation projects you've been on, Jen, but probably a lot. In fact, you will be I've been on more than me, but I've been on my fair share of them and I can guarantee you nothing was transformed. I was going to say, there's no transforming. (laughs) There's no transforming going on. We're just changing. We're just changing the way we do stuff. So let's call BS on transformation. But if you are on one of those initiatives, what's the one piece of advice? What's the first thing you say, well, okay, I'm I'm a listener. I'm going, I just want to get better at being a change leader. What's the first action for them to take? Would it be too self-serving to say, read my book? Oh God, (laughs) All right then, so read the book, one of your books, but certainly read Change Leader. Read Change Leader. It's got 65 things that they could do. Pick one, any one. It will make a difference in how they lead change. Do you have a favourite one? I know that's like asking you to choose your favourite cat, child, whatever, but... um... I do, and we're going to go really deep, Michelle. My favourite at the moment or the area that I just think has the biggest payoff is to get really close to your relationship with shame because there is nothing like the experience of feeling personal shame to inhibit your ability to lead change. And we all have it and we all run from it. Mm -hmm. And if we can lean in to understanding what is it that makes me sit in a space of shame, that if we can have, find trusted people around us to have that conversation, you're going to find that you will lead change very, very differently. Now, for some people, we talk about fear of irrelevance, puts you in a state of shame you fear that people are not going to like you. Perhaps your your transformation is one that's actually going to be really, really challenging for people. And so that will bring with you a sense of, you know, that, that sense that we are not loved puts us in a space of shame. And whilst I've had leaders go, I don't care if people love me or not in the workplace, they bloody do, Michelle. Of course they do. They do. So swap out love for appreciate, like, or respect. You know, I don't want to be loved. I want to be respect. Same deal. We'll sit in shame. In other words, I don't want to be rejected. That's it. It's such a powerful, powerful concept and it's so under-resourced and inquired into and, you know, we don't have conversations about it. And if we can just, you know, that when you bring your shame into the open, it no longer has power over you. 
you know, sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. Yeah, that's that's very, very good advice. So who who have you seen, and I'm going off track now because now I'm, I'm thinking, who have I seen that has owned shame in the public domain? Cameron Schwab. Yep, and you and I both know Cam quite well and, uh, yes, you've done a great interview with him. Tell us tell us about Cam. I think part of, you know, his, I, I, I don't want to speak for him, you know, and I really recommend that listeners check out his material, his books, his interviews and stuff like that. But he he is really in a tremendous space of accepting what he was proud of, but really examining what he was not proud of as a CEO in AFL. Mm. And so for our listeners who are not in Australia, we're talking about the Australian Football League or the Australian Rules Football and, and Cam's a three-time CEO, youngest CEO of a football club ever. And again, I can't speak for him, but from the outside in as someone who's followed him for a long time, a tumultuous career and a tumultuous relationship with success. Yes. And so he's, you know, what I so appreciate about him, appreciate about him is how transparent he is with where he feels that he has let down the industry, his teams, his family, and turned them into a talking point that normalizes disappointment, remorse, vulnerability in order to do better. You know, that for me, that's that you walk away from every engagement with Cam with a sense of, I can do better. Yes. And he is another, I think another skill that's associated with being a change leader is storytelling. And he is a terrific storyteller, as are you, as am I. And I own my ability to tell stories because I am good at it. But I've got to tell you, Jen, I don't reckon I'm fully reconciled with the whole shame thing either. But I'm a very, well, you and I are both fans of Brene Brown and, and her work on vulnerability shame, guilt, that, uh, that kind of stuff. So I think that's really good advice. Let's examine our relationship with shame. How, and how are we wearing our mantle of shame when we're trying to lead ourselves and others through continuous as well as transactional change? It's, it's, it's great advice. Okay, of course, you and I could keep talking forever, but I'm going to do one more quote and get you to finish with that. In 2020, we had a taste of what is to come, and in 2021, this means the best of leaders, the most capable of leaders, those that will take healthy, thriving workplaces into the future will be the leaders who are accomplished at looking within and making repeated changes to the way that they lead. What else would you add on, given that you wrote that over probably 18 months ago? What would you add on now to that, if anything? And are exceedingly kind to themselves. Fantastic. Self-compassion. I, I, I feel like the, the, and we talk, I think I talked a little bit about it in the book, but I think after the exhaustion, you know, to, to your point, yes, that was written um, a year ago. We knew it was going to be rough this year. It has continued to be exceptionally rough. And I, I feel like self-compassion is the capacity to endure and get back to a space where you can really start to enjoy the work you're doing. Fantastic. Well, Jen, today we've heard about how your bizarre threads have become a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful leadership tapestry that includes being emotionally intelligent, not just the words, the behaviours, how data comes from our bodies, not just from spreadsheets, how, and of course, it's one of my favourite things, how curiosity and being inquisitive is so important to being a change leader. Heard from you how to pay it near, what are those weak signals that we need to pay attention to? And of course, we've learned the relationship which is my big aha today, the relationship between greatness as a leader and shame. 
And of course, vulnerability is a leadership game changer. Dr. Jen Fraum, thank you for extolling your wisdom and expanding our minds. I will be putting all of your links in our show notes. But as you said, your your one piece of advice is go and, go and get change leader and look at your 65 things to do and pick one and away you go. So Jen, thanks for being with us today. A joy and a privilege to spend this time with you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. To get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on.